Well, hello there, Converge Nation. Pastor Wendy here with some exciting news. 2021 is a milestone year for us. On January 3rd, we turned one year old as Converge, and on March 27th, we will celebrate our 10th year as a church organization. So we have double celebrations to be thankful for. Please mark your calendars for the weekend of March 26th, 27th, and 28th. That's when we're gonna celebrate all that God has done for us. We're gonna kick off our anniversary celebrations on Friday night, March 26th, with a worship celebration. We'll get you more details about who will be our special guests. On the 27th, we're actually gonna have a game night in, a virtual game night. All of our family and friends can join in, and we'll get you details about that as well. And on Sunday, March 28th, we'll have a special guest to culminate our celebration. Psalm 150 says, praise the Lord, praise him for his mighty deeds, praise him according to his excellent greatness. And that is exactly what we're gonna do. So we're gonna ask again that you mark your calendar for the last weekend in March, and we're gonna be celebrating 10 years and one or one and 10, however you arrange it, we are gonna have a great time celebrating together and giving praise to God for his faithfulness toward us. I look forward to seeing you way before the last weekend in March, but if not, I will see you then. Hey Converge Nation, Cassie here with some exciting news. We're bringing back Prayer Force. Join us Monday through Friday at 8 p.m. as we pray for you and our country. We emailed out Zoom information so that you can join us for these calls, but if you didn't receive it, make sure to email us at info at weareconverged.com so that we can get those dial-in details to you. We look forward to praying with you. For the month of February, we're going to be starting a new sermon series called This Is Us. We'll be focusing on living a Christ-centered life where Jesus is over every relationship, including marriages, family, and parenting. Make sure to join us as we aim to strengthen each of these relationships. We'd like to thank each of you for your generosity and your financial partnership. We know 2020 was tough, but you remained faithful and we are super thankful for that. And with that, we wanna make sure you have the appropriate tax documents for your giving. You can simply go to your Converge link and go to the My Giving tab to receive your giving statement. Or go to weareconverge.com, go to the menu item Give, then click 2020 Giving Statements. Log in and follow the steps below. Click on My Giving on the left-hand side of the welcome page. Then click Giving Statement at the top right-hand side of the page. Select Giving Statement Type, either Individual or Family. On Individual, it generates one statement for each person in the family that has given during the date range. Family generates a combined statement for the primary contact and spouse and separate statements for any children or other family members. Select a date range. This will determine which transactions to include in the statement based on the post date set for the transactions. Then choose if you'd like only tax deductible transactions, only non-deductible transactions, or both to be included. Choose if you'd like pledge information to be included. Then click Run Report. If you have any questions or issues getting your giving statement, email Converge Accounting at accounting at weareconverge.com. Please note that some workplaces may have security features blocking your ability to get on Converge Link, so you may have to access it at home. Thank you again, and we look forward to a fruitful 2021. 
Be sure to follow us on social media at We Are Converge. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can stay up to date with what's going on at Converge.
Hey there, Converge Nation. Thank you so much for joining us for week four of Supreme, where we're discovering, we're learning all about the supremacy of Christ, the sovereignty of Christ, and the sufficiency of Christ. Listen, we're exalting and embracing Jesus over everything. In fact, that's our declaration this year. In 2021, it is Jesus over everything. Jesus plus nothing equals Everything, And we're glad that you're on the journey with us as we've been making our way through Paul's letter, Paul's epistle to the church at Colossae. Uh, we're going to pick up where we left off, but before we do that, quick review, quick review. We've discovered in chapter one, the preeminence of Christ, the supremacy of Christ. Jesus reigns supreme, number one, in his person. We discovered in chapter one that he is the express image of the invisible God. Everything that we need to know about our heavenly father, whom we've not seen, is expressed and made manifest in the person of Jesus. John chapter 1 and verse 18 declares, No one has seen the Father, but the Son who is in the bosom of the Father has declared him, has made him known. Number two, Jesus is preeminent in his position. He is the firstborn of all creation. The scripture declares in Colossians 1. Number three, Jesus is preeminent in his power. You know what that means? Jesus is exalted over thrones, dominions, authorities, and all powers and principalities are subject to him. And number four, Jesus is supreme. Jesus is preeminent, y'all, in his provision. You're talking about, say, Pastor Ray, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the provision of reconciliation that he made between God and man. And so we're on this journey uh, as we deep dive and we unpack Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. 
that was dealing with deep-seated, deep-rooted feelings of inadequacy. They were wrestling with an identity crisis that made them susceptible to uh, ideologies that were contrary to the gospel of Christ. And number four, it allowed them or it forced them, it pushed them into idolatry. Notice the progression, inadequacies, identity, ideologies, idols. We're going to talk about idols this morning, but before we do that, here's Paul's remedy. Uh, here's Paul's prescription for these issues that the Colossians dealt with, and may I suggest that many of us deal with today. Listen, the scripture says everything that's written in the text is written for our admonition. This is not just a lesson in history. It's not some antiquated uh, text that has nothing to do with us in the here and now. In fact, these are real people with real problems, with real needs, serving a real God with real solutions. And so this Jesus that we read about in Colossians is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same Jesus who wants to step out of eternity into time and intervene on your behalf. So listen, uh, what's happening in the church at Colossae is, is it, 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 has, um, it has resonance with what many of us deal with today. Number one, feelings of inadequacy. The sense that you're not enough, or maybe even you're too much. Notice the antidote. Notice Paul's prescription for the church at Colossae, uh, as recorded in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10. He says, and you are complete in him. Notice, you're not not enough. You're not too much. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10 says that you are complete in him. Man, that's, that's a good place for you just to rest and receive what God has already declared concerning you. Not perfect, but complete. I want you to hear that. Flaws and all. He says you are complete in him. And that is God's solution. That is God's answer to any sense, any feelings of inadequacy you may have grappled with. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to the next thing in this sequence, in this progression, and he deals with identity. Notice Colossians chapter 3 and verse 3 from the New Living Translation where Paul writes, For you died to this life, meaning your former life. And your real life, that means your life in Christ, is now hidden with Christ in God. Where is your identity? Not in your former way of life. Not in the things you did. Not in your failures. Not in your shortcomings. Not in your disappointments. With yourself. None of those things define you. None of those things are your identity. The scripture declares that your true identity is hidden in Christ and Christ is in God. Listen, baby, there's layers to you. <laughs> there are layers to you. Come on, Shrek. You got layers. You're complicated because your life is all wrapped up in Christ and Christ is in 
God. I read this quote earlier this week and it really blessed me and ministered to me. Uh, Pastor Stephen Furtick, lead pastor of Elevation Church in North Carolina, said it this way. He said, stop introducing yourself to the next season of your life with the resume of regrets from your last one. Woo! That dog will hunt. That, that'll preach right there. Let me read that to you again. Pastor Stephen says it this way. Stop introducing yourself to the next season of your life with the resume of regrets from your last season. You know what that means? You're so much bigger. You're so much better in the eyes of God than your last mistake, than your last misstep. And most of us think our identity is all wrapped up in what we did last summer. Come on, I know what you did last summer. No, there's so much more to your identity because the scripture declares that your life is hidden in Christ and Christ is in God. And that is Paul's prescription to the church at Colossae and it is Paul's prescription to you this morning, this moment. Your life is hidden in Christ and Christ is in God. That's your identity. Glory to God. All right, I'm getting excited. Number three, Paul deals with the ideologies that we become susceptible to that we often submit ourselves to, maybe submit is too strong a word, but the, 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 the seductive ideologies that creep in when we begin to experience these deviations, right, that come as a result of not understanding our true identity in Christ. When we don't know who we are in Christ, we start to look for a sense of belonging. We start to look for this sense of, do I matter? Do I value? And we begin to yield ourselves to ideologies, to paradigms, to worldviews, to thought processes that are not consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 that we ought to be transformed, metamorphosized by the renewing of our mind so that our thought processes are consistent with and aligned with God's word about us. That we no longer have to look or rely or depend on others to validate us or to define us. We have already been accepted in the beloved, complete in him, our lives hidden in Christ and Christ is in God. So, so, so Paul now gives this antidote, this prescription to the church at Colossae in chapter 2 and verse 8. He says, beware, all right, stay on guard, be watchful. Be circumspect so that no one cheat you through philosophy. Here it is, the ideologies, the thought processes and paradigms uh, and empty deceit. Notice it is deceptive. It is seductive according to the traditions of men. Notice it doesn't originate in God according to the basic principles of this world. What are the basic principles of this world? The lust of the eyes. What's appealing to the eye? The, the, the lust of the flesh. It satisfies a carnal physical need and the pride of life. The pride of life. It, it speaks to, it satisfies and feeds our ego. Paul was saying, beware of philosophies, of ways of thinking that feed 
the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. These are the basic principles of this world, but they are not according to Christ. And the reason that's important is because Paul wants to keep the church at Colossae from idols. That's the fourth and final step in this sequence, the fourth and final step in this progression. Notice what John writes in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 21. I find this sort of this benediction, if you will. I find this bookend rather curious because he's ending a five-chapter letter to believers with this warning. He says, little children, beware of idols. Amen. The New Living Translation reads, dear children, keep away from anything. And I'm going to add this for emphasis. Keep away from anything. Keep away from everything. Keep away from anyone. Keep away from everyone that might take God's place in your heart. Ultimately, this is what Paul is trying to get to in his letter to the church at Colossae. And when we talk about Jesus being supreme in our lives, when we talk about Jesus having the preeminence in our lives, when we talk about the supremacy and the sufficiency and the sovereignty of Jesus, what we're talking about is opening our hearts so that Jesus once again assumes and occupies his rightful place in our hearts. Because if Jesus is not in a, his rightful place, if Jesus is not sitting on the seat of our hearts with power and authority, we have traded his seat. We have traded his place in our lives for idols. And that's what we're going to share, spend the lion's share of our time this morning. Just so we have a working definition to level set expectations and make sure we're on the same page. So we're talking about the same thing, right? An idol is defined as any person or thing regarded with blind admiration. Notice that. Blind admiration. Without forethought. Without investigating. Without consideration. An idol is anything, uh, a person or thing regarded with blind admiration adoration or devotion. And I would venture to say that there are idols that occupy places in our thought life and our hearts that Jesus once occupied exclusively. But over time, whether it was because of feelings of inadequacy whether it was because we went through an identity crisis, whether it was a season in our lives when we didn't feel like we, we were valued or that we mattered and we started to listen to the wrong voices and look to the wrong places for validation and acceptance and affirmation, it made room over time, one deviation at a time, one choice at a time. One decision at a time. And may I submit to you that it is seductive and it is subtle. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're saying to yourself, how did I get here? Baby, if you let the devil in the back seat, pretty soon he's going to want to drive. 
And all of a sudden, you're figuring out, how did I get here? It's the simple deviations, the subtle deviations that make us dethrone Christ and enthrone idols. Now, when I say idols, you're probably thinking of a graven image carved out of wood or stone or even metal, maybe even glass. But let me tell you, the idols we wrestle with, the idols we grapple with, the idols that sometimes overtake us are not external. <laughs> They're not physical. They're not idols we can touch. They're not graven images that people bow down to, even though that is true for many cultures around the world. The idols that most of us wrestle with in the church, in the family of God, in the house of God, are idols in our imagination, in our thought processes. And that's why the, the danger of susceptibility to ideologies is critical to confront and address. And that's why last week we talked about it, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds in our imagination, in our thought process. And we have to process this, and we have to take them captive and bring them into obedience to Christ. Spiritual warfare, yes, it might rage out here, but the battlefield of the mind huh, is the nexus. Huh? It, is, it is ground zero for every conflict, every spiritual conflict that you will confront and ultimately conquer by the grace of God. Idols, idols, idols. Beware of them. Notice what the scripture says. This is the Old Testament text. As God is bringing the children of Israel uh, out of Egypt and he's bringing them through the wilderness into the land of promise. You see, God brought the children out of Israel in a day. I'm sorry, he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt in a day. But it took him 40 years to get Egypt out of the children of Israel. Let me say that again. Come on, somebody. <laughs> <laughs> the night of the Passover, it was a wrap. The next morning, two, depending on which commentators you read, anywhere from two to three million Jews exited, <laughs> exited Egypt after 400 plus years of Egyptian bondage. It took God a moment. It took God one moment to get Israel out of Egypt, but it took him 40 years to get Egypt out of them. In fact, for 40 years while they, they, they traversed the wilderness, their feet were taking them to the promised land, but their hearts longed for the leeks and the pomegranates of Egypt. And it's possible that your feet can be taking you one way and your heart longed for something totally contrary to where God desires to take you. And the reason is there are idols. <laughs> idols that you brought with you when you left Egypt. And these are not idols that you hid in a bag. These are not idols you hid in your pocket. These are idols that found their way to, to 
your heart. And so God is bringing the children of Israel. And again, the scripture says these things happened for our ensamples, the King James. They happened for our admonition. And so there are lessons for us to learn from the Exodus. And, and so, and so God, God says to them, as he's establishing new ideologies, as he is undoing 430 years of Egyptian indoctrination, this is what he says to them. He said, no, we'll get this thing right. There's, there's a couple of things we got to deal with right now. And in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 5, these are God's words through his servant Moses. He said, you shall not make for yourself a carved, a graven image. Any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath. You shall not bow down nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God established it from the outset. <laughs> that there's only one who deserves your adoration. Only one who deserves your affection. And that is me. Because I love you with a jealous, selfish love. And your adoration and your affection belong to me alone. And so what, Pastor Ray, I ain't carving nothing. I ain't got no altars. I ain't got no shrines. I ain't bowing down to nothing. I ain't serving nothing. Come on, Pastor. Jesus over everything. Come on now. Well, notice... Notice Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verses 14 through 15. Because it may be true that you don't have a graven image that you worship and bow down to. But if we're honest with ourselves in our moments of self-reflection, there are idols. And we're going to talk about three of them. We're going to talk about three of them before I get off, get off this broadcast, before I get out your way. Come on, put your seatbelt on because we're going we gonna to step on a couple of bunions. Come on, somebody. We're going to step on a couple of corns. Yeesh. Here we go. Notice what God spoke. Again, through his servant Moses. You shall not go after other gods. The gods of the peoples who are all around you. And what God was saying is... You, you are surrounded. You find yourself immersed in a culture that doesn't serve the true and living God. Huh? You are in this world, but you're not of this world. So resist the temptation to go after their gods, to do things the way they do things. Your life is meant and designed not for you to fit in, but for you to stand out. And that's why he said, come out from among them and be separate and touch not the unclean thing and I will be your God and you will be my people. He said, don't go after their gods. Don't let culture inform your worship. Don't let culture inform your convictions. Don't let culture inform your commitment to me. He says, don't go after their gods because you're in this world you're not of it. And he says it's okay for you to be in this world as long as you don't allow this world to get in you. 
unfortunately, it is an unfortunate reality of the church that what we're experiencing in the church today is a worldly church in a churchy world. I'll say that again. A worldly church that has taken on the character of the world, that has taken on the character of culture. And we see a, a, a world eh, that has a form of godliness but denies the power thereof. And there are blurred lines. There are blurred lines where you see celebrities wearing T-shirts. Uh, yeah, Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is my homie. And have no relationship with Jesus. You know why? Because we've blurred the lines. Where now we have a churchy world. But an equally worldly church. And Jesus is saying, I'm coming this year to establish my sovereignty, my supremacy, and my sufficiency in your life. In your life. Notice what Joshua writes. <laughs> this, is, this is Moses' successor. So Moses, man, has run his course. He has done his part. And now his successor, Joshua, who served by Moses' side as Moses', Moses aide, Moses' uh, uh, servant, the scripture says in Joshua chapter 1, now is standing before the people. And here is another admonition. Here's another admonition. And y'all know, y'all know the deal. They were in the wilderness. Moses went up Mount Sinai to, to be in the presence of God so that God would give him instructions for, their, for living. That would be guideposts to counsel them as he renewed their minds and broke Egyptian ideology. So Moses is gone for 40 days and there's no one there to remind them of the vision. There's no one there to remind them of who they are, of whose they are, and of where they're going. And notice the first thing that happens. Moses' own brother, <laughs> Aaron, who was the priest. Listen, these people brought gold, and Moses' brother, Aaron, that Moses left in charge, made a golden calf, and they began to worship an idol. It took them 40 days <laughs> to turn away from everything that God had told them back. Somebody say muscle memory. <laughs> they went back to what was familiar and what was comfortable and what was convenient. Can you imagine that? God is feeding them supernaturally. God delivered them supernaturally at the Red Sea. The walls of the Red Sea were congealed, frozen, so that they could walk through on dry ground. And when they got across the Red Sea, God drowned the horse and the rider. Egypt's army drowned in the Red Sea. They saw these notable miracles. God was leading them. Fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. And the moment the vision was taken away, the moment the vision was taken away, the moment the vision was taken away, they resorted. They went right back to 430 years of conditioning. I, I'm talking about the conditioning that takes us away from God. And I would also venture to say that every sin problem is a vision problem. When you lose sight of God, 
and you lose sight of God's plan and vision and purpose for your life, you will try to fill it with other things. Golden calves and idols. So here's Joshua. Moses is off the scene. Notice Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. <laughs> he says, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. No hypocrisy. Stop wearing this mask. Serve him in sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. On the other side of the river, meaning Jordan. When he crossed over Jordan, now some of y'all still got these gods. He brought you out of Egypt, y'all still got these gods. I know they were the god of your fathers. I know they were the God of your fathers. But when will God, the true and living God, be God for you? Hmm? Because, they're, they're, he, you know, this is not like Verizon, not Verizon, singular wireless. There are no rollover minutes from one generation to the next. He said they were the God of their, your fathers. That's the God they served. But their gods don't have to be your gods. Notice verse 15. He says, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, Adonai, Yahweh, choose for yourselves this day who you're going to serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Notice the pressure of culture. He said, y'all got away from Egypt, but now you're in the land of the Amorites and they serve other gods. He said, you better make a decision, baby. If you're going to serve the God of your fathers, what was the God of the Amorites? What is? Listen, in whose land you dwell. But he says, as for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. The gods of Egypt, what was? The God of the Amorites, what is? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What is possible? We've already declared 2021 a banner year. It's going to be a year that is characterized by unprecedented successes, unprecedented productivity, fruitfulness, and possibilities. How is it going to happen? It's going to happen when you and I align our lives, rightly align our lives with the God of Joshua and the God of Moses, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Jesus. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't know what you're going to do in your house, but as for me and my house, me and my fall, no more. No, actually, hold up, pump the brakes. Me and my five. No, me and my four. That's right, because there's five of us. Pape, we love you. Me, my beautiful mocha princess. Come on, we're going to be celebrating 20 years of marital bliss in March. Come on, somebody. I just had a moment. Better start planning, pastor. Come on, you got to come with it, pastor, right? My mocha princess. Nia and Levi and my dad. As for me and my house, 
We're going to serve the Lord. It's going to be Jesus over everything. It is Jesus over everything. It is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I'm talking about idols. Notice, notice the text again. I want to establish the foundation. And here's the foundation. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't serve the God of your fathers in Egypt. You can't serve the God of the Amorites and serve the God of Israel simultaneously. You can't have your cake and eat it too. And that's why James rebuked the believers and called them adulterers and adulteresses because he said friendship with the world is enmity with God. I'll say that again. You can't be a friend of the world and a friend of God simultaneously. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. And James called it adultery. You can't make God your side chick. Or you can't have God as your main squeeze and have the world as your side chick. It's adultery. And the Lord said it's time to let go of your idols so that Jesus can have his rightful place in your life and occupy the place of preeminence in your life. Uh, notice 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 21. <laughs> this is that a notable, a memorable confrontation that Elijah has with the 450 prophets of Baal. And then there were some other cats. I think they were priests who sat at Jezebel's table and ate. Go back and read uh, 1 Kings chapter 18. And, and so here is sort of the, the climax. They're on Mount Carmel. And Elijah challenges these 450 prophets of Baal who were cutting themselves and offering blood sacrifices to their gods. And Elijah says, you know what? The God who answers by fire. Let him be God. We're going to settle this thing once and for all. You cry out to your God, 450 of y'all jokers, and I'll cry out to my God single-handedly because me and my God are the majority. I say that to somebody this morning. You don't need a 450 prophets of Baal serving other gods. All you need is God. All you need. So Elijah walks in there, straight up gangster, straight up hood, all by himself, y'all. One man, wrecking crew, and he says, the God who answers by fire, let him be God. Baddest man, hit my hand. <laughs> Come on, listen, and on Mount Carmel, Elijah cried out to God, and God answered by fire. Don't have time to go into all the details, but notice what? Elijah says, he says, and scripture says, and Elijah came to all the people. He came to all the people. There was no one who didn't hear this message. There was no one who didn't hear this invitation. They all heard it. And because they heard it, they were confronted with choice. In fact, let me say it this, this way. We're praying for the wisdom of God this year, and here's why. The wisdom of God will empower you and equip you to make better decisions and better choices so that you have better outcomes, so that you can live with fewer regrets. I'll say that again. Let 2021 be the beginning of a lifetime 
of living with fewer regrets. The wisdom of God will empower and equip you to make better choices so that you have better outcomes and fewer regrets. And in the, in the hearing of the multitudes, Elijah announces what is recorded in verse 21. And he said, how long, how long will you falter between two opinions? How long? How long will you have one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world? One foot with Christ, one foot with culture. How long will you vacillate between two opinions? And notice the word he uses, how long will you falter? Because that's what our lives begin to look like when we're indecisive. We're not sure if we're going to choose Jesus or the world. We falter. We stumble back and forth between God and culture. And we end up living with regrets. And so Elijah challenges all the people. He says, man, how long y'all going to be tripping? I feel like Chris Tucker. Tripping. How long y'all going to be tripping? And your life is just one stumble after the next. How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. We're talking about idols. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Better choices. Better decisions, better outcomes, fewer regrets. But notice the people's response. It says, but the people answered him not a word. He made it crystal clear. If I had been in that crowd that day, my response would be, I choose the Lord God. But notice what they did. They played it safe. And that's where most of us live. We play it safe. Too scared to choose God. And too entangled. Come on, Jada Pinkett. Hey, too entangled. Life's entanglements got you so wrapped up that when God says, choose me, all he hears is silence. The multitudes answered him not a word. You know why? Idols. 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 <laughs> anything, that, anything that keeps God from having his rightful place in my heart. And this morning, I pray that your response to this invitation to choose life will not be met with silence from you. Because to the multitudes that will hear this message this morning and in the days and the weeks to come, God offers you, the, offers you the same invitation that Elijah did. If the Lord be God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And what is not acceptable is your silence. Choose somebody today. If Baal, then live with the consequences. If Jesus, enjoy the rewards. So here are basic instructions for destroying your idols. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. From the New King James. 
In fact, let's read verse 2 because it'll make it plain. Basic instructions for destroying your idols. Number one, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. There's something about the pull of the things of this world, of the earth, that if we give our attention, if we give our affection to them, they will pull us away from the simplicity of knowing Christ and the purity of devotion. So in this letter, Paul says, you know how you're going to deal with your idols, Colossae? You're going to reorient and redirect your affections. You're no longer going to have affections on things on this earth, but your affections must turn once again to things above. That means live with an eternal perspective. Most of us are so focused on what's happening now. Most of us are so focused on what's happening in the moment. Most of us are so focused about what's happening around us that we have forgotten that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And that's why Jesus said we should store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. He was talking about living with an eternal perspective. How do I rid myself of idols? Number one, I have to live with, a, with an eternal perspective I have to set my affection on things above. Jesus talked about four kinds of soil in Mark and in Luke. And this is what he said. He said there's one kind of soil. I believe it was the thorny ground. And he said the thorny ground are those who receive the word with gladness. But listen, the cares of this world, mama, and the deceitfulness of riches, immediately spring up and choke out the word that they heard. You know what Jesus was talking about? He's, he was saying that there are people who have this heart condition, that the condition of the soil of their heart is that their affections are wrapped up, come on, entanglements, entangled with the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. So notice what he says. In Colossians chapter number two, sorry, Colossians chapter three, uh, beginning at verse one, I'm reading from the message paraphrase now. It says, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life, if you're serious about it, then act like it. Act like you're serious about this new resurrection life. He says, pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. If you and I are going to destroy the idols, rid ourselves of the idols much like they did under the old covenant where, where when a righteous, a righteous king came to Israel and they, they ridded themselves of the idols and, and ridded, is that a word? Rid themselves of the idols. Come on, hooked on phonics. Rid themselves of the idols and cut down the Asherah poles. This is where it starts. Set your affection 
affection. Say that with me, my affections on things above. And then he goes on and he says in the King James, uh, one translation might say put to death. But in the King James, it says mortify the flesh. One translation says crucify the flesh. One translation says put to death the works of the flesh. That word translated mortified, this is what it means, to deprive of power. To deprive of power, to put to death by starvation. And that means there are certain affections that you have that you just have to deprive of their power. Stop feeding that thing. You know, I was preparing for this message and I kept thinking about the gremlins. Three things, y'all, that they weren't supposed to do. Don't expose it to light, especially sunlight. Because it would kill the magwai, right? The little cute little furry thing that he got from Mr. Wong. I think that was his name. 1984, come on somebody, gremlins, taking you all the way back. Don't expose it to light, especially sunlight. Number two, number two, man, listen, don't get this thing wet because if you get it wet, they're going to multiply. But the third and most important instruction with the magwai, don't feed them after midnight. And this was the instruction. No matter how much they cry, no matter how much they coo, no matter how much they try to get your attention, after midnight, no matter how cute and appealing, come on, even the enemy masquerades as an angel of light, no matter how safe and manageable it seems, don't feed it. Because the moment you feed this thing after midnight, it's going to take on a life of its own. And that's what Paul is saying. Deprive this thing of its power. Stop feeding it. Stop feeding it. Stop catering to it. Mortify the flesh, your affections. And then he goes on to list some of them. And they are all carnal in nature. It's when we feed our flesh. It's not just our fleshly affections, but there's another, there's another place where idols lodge. They're not only in our affections, they're also in our attitudes. You said, Pastor Ray, I ain't got no problem with my flesh. Woo, I got my flesh under subjection. I'm living holy, living right. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Paul says, Paul says, Church of Colossae, he says, Converge Church. Maybe your problem ain't carnal in nature. It may not be fleshly in nature, but you could have an attitude problem. Notice what he says. Notice what he says. In fact, let me just read this so you don't think that I'm leaving any of it out because Paul addresses the works of the flesh, but he also deals with the attitudes and the emotions that become idols in our lives. Notice Notice verse 5. Here it is. Therefore put to death. This is the New King James Version. Mortify. Therefore put to death your members. Talking about your carnal nature, which are on earth. Put to death fornication. That means all sexual promiscuity, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Listen, which is, what's the word there? Which is idolatry. Paul writes that all these things are idolatry, so put them away. 
Now, that's the list that most of us harp on as church folk. Well, I ain't living foul. I ain't doing any of those things, pastor. But he goes on. Notice what he says. Uh, verse 6, he says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Verse 8, but now you yourselves are to put off all these. Oh, there's more? Yeah, there's more. What are we supposed to put off? Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Oh, look at verse 9. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Notice Paul talks about not only the affections that are carnal, fleshly in nature, but he talks about the attitudes that are soulish. And all these things open up our lives to idols that occupy Jesus' rightful place in our hearts. Third and final thing, as I close, it's not just our affections, it's not just our attitudes that Jesus wants us to disrupt and destroy. He also wants us to confront and conquer our ambition. Now, not all ambition is wrong. You don't just want to be stuck in, and have no vision and have no drive and have no purpose uh, for your life. In fact, Nia, our daughter's name, means drive. Nia, it means one who is driven in Swahili. So ambition in and of itself is not bad, but when it becomes selfish ambition and becomes self-seeking, that too can be an idol in your life. Notice what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, and I promise you this is my first and final close. Come on, somebody. Pastor, do it good. I'm going to pat myself on the back. First and final close, Philippians 1, 15 through 17 from the message paraphrase. Notice the words of Paul. It's true that some here preach Christ because with me out of the way they think they'll step right into the spotlight. Go figure. People are preaching the gospel because Paul was in prison and they really felt in that, oh, here's my moment. Paul's out of the way. Here's my time to shine. They were preaching Jesus, preaching the gospel. Selfish ambition. Let me tell you what selfish ambition is. It's doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. Selfish ambition is sometimes doing the right thing with the wrong motives. So here are these people preaching the gospel. They're doing the right thing, but for the wrong reasons. Paul goes on, but the others do it with the best heart in the world. So there, there's two people. Some were preaching the gospel out of selfish ambition. And then there are others who were preaching the gospel out of a surrendered, submitted heart to Christ. He says, one group is motivated by pure love, knowing that I am here defending the message and wanting to help. The others, though, now that I'm out of the picture, are merely greedy, hoping to get something out of it for themselves. Their motives are bad. 
They see me as their competition, and so the worse it goes for me, the better they think for them. Jesus wants us to deal with our affections, our attitudes, and our ambition when those things have eclipsed the presence and the power and the supremacy and the position of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ in our lives. I close with this, Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19, as I prepare to give you an invitation to confront the idols in your life and surrender this heart to Jesus. In Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19, again, these are the words of Moses. And he says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. Listen, he's saying, I'm going public with this. I'm about to put you on blast so that you are without excuse. Moses is saying, I've done my part to present this message and give you these choices. The God of your father's in Egypt, the God of the Amorites where you dwell, or the God of Israel, the true and living God. He says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death. Better choices, better outcomes, fewer regrets. Listen, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, just in case on this multiple choice, you weren't sure whether it was life and death, blessing and cursing, whether it was A, whether it was B, whether it was C or D, or whether it was E, both A and C. Just in case you were confused, let me tell you the right answer. He says, therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants might live. I believe with all my heart that God has already determined, declared, and decreed that 2021 and beyond is your banner year. But you have to deal with the inadequacies that have haunted you the identity crisis that has left you confused and uncertain, the ideologies that have misinformed and misguided you, and the idols that have overtaken you. Today, the Lord says, choose life. And as you choose life, you're not doing it just for you. The promise is to you and your descendants. So pray this simple prayer with me, because this invitation is not to encounter a God of judgment. It's to encounter a God who desperately loves you. In fact, the scripture says it is the goodness of God. It is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And this is God saying, I want all of you. Some of you won't do. And in the words of John the Baptist, I must decrease and he must increase. One writer said it this way, all of me, none of you. 
some of me, some of you, none of me, all of you. And today, as I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, as your friend, as your pastor, as a broken man who has dealt with idols and continues to put them to death, deprive them of power, put them to death by starvation, I invite you to choose life. Let us pray. Pray the simple prayer after me in faith. We trust that God will do the work in our hearts together. Dear God, I come to you now in Jesus' name. Lord, I invite you into my house. But Lord, I just don't want you to occupy a room in this house. I want you to be the guest of honor. So today, as I invite you, I evict. I evict. I evict every guest, every squatter, every occupant, so that Jesus, you can occupy your rightful place in this house. I thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins. And on the third day, you rose from the dead. I thank you that my sins are forgiven, that I am born again, and I choose you, Jesus, over every other God, over every idol, to be Lord, to be Savior, and to be supreme in my life. I thank you, Father, that I am born again. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, the Bible says that you have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It's that simple. If you prayed that prayer in faith, we have some resources that we'd like to send you to help jumpstart your walk with God. Uh, we have a free Bible we want to send to you as well as a mini book called Fresh Start with God. Simply send us an email to info at weareconverged.com. That's info at weareconverged.com. Someone from our team will put those resources in the mail for you. And if you have a prayer request, go to our website. Uh, click on the tab that says, uh, I believe it says connect. And click on the prayer request option because we do want to pray for you. Thank you so much once again for inviting us into your homes, but more importantly, for inviting Jesus into your heart and for embracing and elevating Jesus over everything. Remember, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. God bless you. We'll see you here next week for Vision Sunday. I've got some awesome things to announce. You do not want to miss it. You better be here. And I've got, I started to say a surprise, but listen, Converge Worship 
We'll be back next Sunday. I will be casting vision for 2021 and beyond. Do not miss it. Invite a friend and let's celebrate together all that God is doing right here at Converge Church. God bless you. We'll see you then. If you were impacted by today's message, we would love to hear from you. Maybe today's sermon was exactly what you needed to hear, or you prayed the prayer of salvation for the first time. If so, we would love to send you some information to help you kickstart your relationship with God. Or if you want more information on how to join our virtual family, email us at info at If you would like to partner with us financially, you can do so online safely and securely at www.weareconverge.com give. You can also text 77977, type in Converge Give and the dollar amount. You can also find all of this information on our mobile app. Simply open your app or Play Store, search Converge Church Plano and download the app. It's that easy. Thank you again for joining us for today's worship experience. We look forward to staying connected with you.